Welcome to episode two of Wrestling with Sports Entertainment. I'm one of your hosts, Mike Mansuri. Spent a little bit of time in the WWE. Now I'm serving as executive producer here at Pack McAfee Incorporated. Joining me, the man on uh, my camera right, I guess my physical left. He's a uh, he's a man who's been involved in the wrestling business in over 30 years. He spent eight of those years in WCW. One of those actually on air, featured commentator on Nitro, and I think Mark did some thunder work. He's the number one radio host in all of Pittsburgh, and he's been that way for the last 25 years. You're going to find him now on 105.9 The X. Ladies and gentlemen, the one, the only, the legendary Mark Madden. Mark, what is up, brother? Mike, uh, thank you for that stirring introduction. I also want to add that I was the co-author, although only credited as editor, of Ric Flair's uh, New York Times bestselling autobiography, To Be the Man. Uh, a guy named Keith Elliott Greenberg originally wrote it. He, he totally botched it. He wrote it in the voice of a Hulk Hogan fan. I restored it to the voice of a Ric Flair fan, added a lot of content, made it more accurate, did interviews with guys like Steve Austin and Bill Goldberg, who weren't included, amazingly, in the original version. And uh, it was a hit. It was a New York Times bestseller for, boy, many weeks. And for that, Vince McMahon paid me the princely sum of $1,000 for saving Ric Flair's autobiography. So, yes, Mike, I have been involved in wrestling for a long time, and I understand exactly how it works. So uh, it's a pleasure to be back in the business at some peripheral level. I think with you and I co-hosting this program, the sparks are going to fly. I just hope that Eddie Kingston and John Moxley aren't hurt too bad. Oh this man, time. you had to go, uh, you had to go right in for that one. And look, if that brutal honesty right there from double M didn't give you an idea of what we're, we're aiming to do here on wrestling with sports entertainment and folks hang on and, you know, look, cover up, maybe have your buddy lay on top of you because uh, the sparks will fly. <laughs> the, uh, the pyro will shoot off at a very tepid pace. Uh, Mark, well, well, Mike, we're going to torch that match, which is more than the match it itself could say, but I got to say, <laughs> since it was revealed, I'm doing the podcast with you. A lot of guys in the wrestling business said, oh, you're doing it with Mansoori. He's one of the best. So uh, I was not amazed, but, you know, I've, I've been a bit removed from the backstage machinations of the business for quite some time. You have quite a history in your own right with WWE. Yeah, uh, so I spent just over 11 years, and that's you know pretty much a third of my actual life uh, working for WWE. Started back in March of 2009 as a production assistant, kind of worked my way through the ranks, just learning as much as I could because I love the business. At the end of the day, you know why you and I are here and why I got involved in the business is because I love the business. I, I grew up a fan of wrestling. Me too. Yeah, and it only made sense for me to eventually find my way working into the business, uh, getting to eventually to the point where, you know, look, a lot of folks thought that I was going to succeed uh, current WWE executive producer Kevin Dunn, who's a mentor to me. Uh, but, you know, look, things happen in life and you kind of, you know, I was at a place where I kind of wanted to branch out and see if there was something else out there for me that I could kind of gravitate towards and learn, uh, especially with the ever-evolving media landscape. And I found myself here working with Pat and uh, and the guys and just having a, a, a blast and really learning about something that I've never really spent too much time diving in coming from a TV world. I learned about the internet. But at WWE, I built lifelong friendships uh, had a hell of a career, a hell of a run, had a blast. And now I'm looking forward to doing this and really getting to kind of expand on my love of the business. And I'm glad that I get to do it with you. Oh, no, uh, ditto. Uh, I, I think it's going to be fantastic. And I love wrestling as well. But the problem is, and this goes for wrestling, quote, unquote, journalism today. The people who practice that protect it too much. They never expose the flaws in it. And it's a cold, hard fact, Mike. 
that less people are watching wrestling in America right now than ever before. And we keep getting told it's a golden age. And there's a lot of good product. But the goal of wrestling, of sports entertainment, is to get as many people to watch it as possible. And that's just not happening in America. Now, I know about the different ways of watching, the streaming, the YouTube, blah, blah, blah. And certainly all that matters. And the TV ratings are respectable given the time and given all the entertainment options. But I still feel there's a way to make this better. And I still feel there's holes that can be poked in even good products. So I think by pointing that out, we're actually providing a service that not enough people who cover the business do. Most of the people do it just for content, for PR, to, to be friends with the wrestlers or with Tony Khan or with whoever. And that's just not what moves the needle when you cover wrestling. I agree. And or, look, or maybe it does. I've been not involved for so long. And look, we're, we're going we're to have our honest takes on everything. I mean, you and I are yes. both gainfully employed, so I'm not worried about, uh, you know, offending anybody or burning any bridge. And, you know, I'm actually counting on you to blow up more bridges than I can. I'll just be there behind you with the dustpan to clean everything up. But I think, Mark, you brought up a very interesting point. I kind of want to talk about that right here at the top. The the. Is it an antiquated notion basing the success off of a, of a wrestling company off of Nielsen ratings? Is that, you know, is that metric kind of gone by the wayside because of the way people consume content, because of the way, you know, the world is right now, you know, you kind of said earlier, right? Like we're in a bit of a pattern where everything's down, even though we're in a pandemic where most people are home, wrestling ratings have kind of dipped in a pretty way, in a way that we haven't seen probably since the mid nineties. I mean, you were there actively during the Monday night wars and you were seeing raw and nitro doing fours, fives, sixes on a regular basis on a Monday, sometimes even eclipsing Monday night football. So now where you're seeing Monday Night Raw averaging, you know, in somewhere in the neighborhood of two million viewers over three hours. SmackDown doing about the same in two. AEW Dynamite starting to kind of gain a little steam. They've been kind of handily topping NXT in the ratings war, if you want to call them that, a Wednesday night. Does that still matter where we are right now in 2021? I don't know. And that's a very intriguing question. And it's tough to evaluate what the metric should be because of the pandemic, because the ratings should go up during a pandemic because there's no live wrestling to watch. People should be all the more attached to their TVs. That said, the lack of a crowd on TV detracts from the experience as well. There are so many more options, uh, things to watch. There are so many different ways wrestling is presented. So I don't think we have quite the grip we should or did or will on how to evaluate whether wrestling is a successful product or not. Uh, the lack of a crowd, though, Mike, that that really puts a damper on, on so many things, not least the evaluation, because that crowd pop, even though we have Taster's Choice Internet fans who are loyal to the observer more than they're loyal to the product they watch, and really with AEW, it's one and the same at this point, uh, that pop <laughs> almost never lies. Very no, rarely. Never. At pay-per-views, never. it's tough to tell because the fans go there to ruin the show as much as anything. They go there to inflict their judgment instead of just enjoying it. And, and that's a fact. Watch watch the counter chance, you know, counter to what the company wants, what they're trying to book at a lot of big events. But, but at, at TV shows, you don't get quite that same kind of travel-in fan, the, the event attending fan, the guy who comes in from out of town to watch it. So uh, once we get the crowd back at TV, I think we'll have a much better notion of what is and isn't working. As far as the ratings skyrocketing like they did during the Monday Night Wars, I don't think we're ever going to see that again. 
I agree. I think that was the last time that wrestling fans could suspend disbelief. And and the way the product's presented now just gives them no opportunity at all to suspend disbelief. The death of kayfabe is not only, you know, very evident, but it's rubbed in their faces. But that battle between the two companies was real. And uh, even though you kind of have a miniature version of that on Wednesday nights, it's not nearly the same. The scale isn't nearly as grandiose. The personalities aren't nearly as big. So I think we're quite a bit away from getting back to normal in wrestling uh, after the pandemic. And I think it'll be quite a while after that before we really know what is and isn't working. Uh, in the meantime, all we can do is judge as so many people do, but, uh, but often with a prejudiced eye. That's fair. And look, I kind of want to go back to something that you just said there, Mark. You'd mentioned, uh, you know, the death of kayfabe. Kayfabe, for those that are not in the know, is basically it's the art of protecting the business, you know, keeping that keeping that curtain between reality and performance. And I agree, date kayfabe has kind of gone the way of old yeller. Do you think, and I've been a part of many spirited conversations, especially during my time in WWE, that social media has helped to contribute to the death of kayfabe? Social media is helping to contribute to the death of wrestling, whether uh, anybody likes to admit that or not. Uh, I look at AEW. They are booked by, for, and on the Internet. Everything they do is for Twitter's approval. Everything they do is for the uh, dirt sheet's approval. When I say dirt sheet, I'm talking about the dot-coms as well, not just the uh, – I'm old school. I still get the Observer in the mail, Mike. They still print out the Observer? They do. I get it in the mail. Keller cut me off for whatever reason. I, I don't know, but there's nothing in there worth reading anymore anyway. But uh, yeah, it, it's just booked for the internet. And is that good? Is that bad? It keeps the internet fans happy. That's for sure. It gives Twitter something to talk about, but I think it prevents you from going after the mainstream fan. I think it prevents you from expanding your audience. Cause you look at, at Wednesday night and I think the best TV shows are on Wednesday night, both of them. And their ratings are growing, but not that much because instead of trying to come up with a different way of doing things and, and getting people, I mean, I, I guess the Shaq thing on AEW, maybe that's designed sure. to attract mainstream. I don't know. But, but I just don't see the, the promotion being booked, any promotions in a way that will exponentially grow their audience. Like, like Shaq now is not the same as Mike Tyson when he was red hot. No, well, Tyson, you know, you could argue that Tyson actually helped to kind of kick off the Attitude Era with his no involvement question. when they brought him in. Shaq, Shaq was very much, uh, you know, let's just take a big name celebrity, let's put him in the mix and get it going. But Tyson, Tyson actually helped to take the business into the next step in the couple months that he was around for WWE. Well, and, and the Shaq thing we shouldn't forget is he's affiliated with TNT because they're NBA coverage. Shaq love basketball. So that was as much cross-promotion sure. as anything else. But but I just see the people who watch on Wednesday night being kept super happy. They're being super served. I don't see the audience growing except a little bit of ebb and flow. When, when the Monday Night Wars really kicked in, Mike, as you know, uh, the increase in ratings and live attendance was dramatic. Uh, it was big and it was quick. And maybe you can't do that in America now. Maybe I'm being naive to compare, but how can I help but compare? Right. Monday night, it was one TV show against the other. Now on Wednesdays, it's one TV show against the other. 
And I love it. I mean, look, growing up for the Monday Night Wars, I think the most worn out button on my remote control on my TV in my room was the channel back button because you'd be hopping yep, back yep, and me forth. Too. Yeah, you're hopping back and forth between Nitro and Raw waiting to see what these guys are going to do next. You know, and to kind of add to what you're saying, Mark, so like, you know, look, I think AEW, you're 100% right. AEW is definitely booking and catering towards the internet crowd, the internet journalists, everything to in the internet wrestling community. Almost a disturbing community. degree. On the inverse, and I've seen it from the inside, you know, I think a lot of times... And not so much at NXT, but I think Raw and SmackDown, you have to remember WWE is a multi-billion dollar empire, right? right? So now you're talking network influence. You're talking, you know, sponsor influence and things of that nature. You know, when you're booking a show like wrestling, which if you look at the Attitude Era, that influence wasn't there, but you've got corporate influence, for lack of a better term, over the product that you're kind of putting out there and these obligations that are met for sponsors and obligations for networks, it totally affects the product that you're putting out on TV. I don't know if that's the biggest detractor to what folks are, you know, kind of not loving about WWE these days, but it definitely takes away that freedom. I've never been a big proponent of the argument that, you know, the PG era has hurt wrestling. You know, you, you find all these folks on the internet that talk about how the Attitude Era was the best and WWE should revert because a PG rating is what's killing them. I, I, I think the opposite. I think the PG rating allows you an opportunity to be a little, you know, you it challenges you to be creative in a way that like, all right, what are we going to do to tell these stories within this little frame? Whereas the Attitude Era with that, with the PG-14 or TV-14 rating, like they kind of ran free. I think you have a challenge right now that WWE is more than capable to meet head on. I mean, look, they've got arguably the best talent roster in, you know, probably the history of the company across both shows and, th- and all three brands. If you count NXT, you're presented. It's a little op- spread thin, but yeah, if, if I'll tell you what, that might be one of the best talent rosters in wrestling history, Mike, if it was spread over two shows. Uh, yeah, I mean, look, I, I think NXT is a, is a product in itself, right? Like, I think we, I think everyone can agree that NXT is strictly the wrestling. That's the wrestling show. You know, SmackDown's kind of got that wrestling pedigree to it as well. But in terms of sports entertainment, you know, both sides are stacked. I think it's just a ma- mark. I think it's just a matter of misuse of the talent and creative not really doing anyone any favors. And you're seeing that case in point right now with my guy, the new WWE champion, Bobby Lashley. Well, Mike, you're how old? 33, you said? 36. Okay, that makes me just feel despicably <laughs> old. But getting back to what you said uh, about how people look back at the attitude there and think it was better, the reason they think that is because they're old now. Seriously. I, I can speak from experience, and I look back at stuff from when I was young, and I think it was better, and then I realize maybe it wasn't better. Maybe I just felt better about my life and about myself because I was young. Sure. And that's why people remember the Attitude Era so fondly uh, and why they remember anything nostalgic so fondly. When Doug Kenny and National Lampoon magazine basically invented nostalgia with uh, with Animal House, uh, <laughs> they opened a can of worms. No, seriously, yeah, yeah. they opened a financial can of worms that is being uh, marketed and reaped to this day. Uh and uh, another, th- you mentioned the network money. That's worth examining too, because once the Peacock deal kicks in, if my math is correct, Vince McMahon will bring in over $650 million in TV rights fees per year. And Tony Khan has a family fortune that will never, ever run out. Nobody's ever going to say to him, hey, this product's losing too much money. And I don't know what their books say right now, Mike, but nobody's ever going to say to him, hey, this product's losing too much money. You've got to cut back or fire or fold AEW. That's not going to happen. 
Right. So when you have two promotions that have that kind of money to work with, it doesn't have to be good. No, 100 percent lazy. You can be formulaic. And that's what's happening. Not across the board, but, but in the two that matter in the two that matter, 100 percent. And look, you can't. I, I, I find it very hard pressed for anybody to be able to go to Vince and tell Vince right now, hey, the product isn't working when, as you said, SmackDown's got a billion dollar TV deal on Fox. USA's got a you know a billion dollars towards right. Monday Night Raw. And here's this Peacock deal for a billion dollars to take over as the pr- distributor of the network here in the States. And the stock price is going up. So how do you tell someone, look someone in the face and say, hey, what you're doing is not working when you've got these metrics to measure su- success? Right. And it for an old guy like me, I remember when all that mattered was the TV ratings and the live attendance. Sure. That was all that mattered. And now it's so far removed from that for for better or worse. It's just well, it's a, a different metric. And like we've agreed, I think we're still working out what that metric really is. Yeah. And it's a change in the business, right? Look, the 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 old model of the wrestling business dating back to inception to up until maybe I think the pandemic, to be honest with you, uh, it was a live event business. TV basically was a commercial to get you to go to the live event whenever yeah. you know the show was in town. Now, when you're signing TV deals that are in the, you know, when you're hitting a billion dollars for a TV deal, your live event gates, regardless of how many you run a year, aren't coming close to that. Well, that's right, which is why live events are being phased out. In the case of WWE, it gives Vince an excuse to pay the boys more, uh, less rather. <laughs> so that's, that's a Freudian slip because uh, he's not paying them more. I mean, I don't think the boys are getting anything commensurate with, with, with the revenue that's coming in, even though they're responsible for the revenue. But that elimination of the live gate is the excuse, you know, Vince wanted the hole he can drive his truck right through. I don't know the metrics. I don't know the. Uh, I don't know the discussions or the contracts. I'd be kind of curious to see. I do. I mean, no, no, you're right, and neither do I. Yeah, but, but you know, I there, know there, there were heard, rumblings. And I would be very curious to see as well. Yeah, I, I would be curious because you know there there were rumblings while I was with WWE when AEW launched that a lot of talent were renegotiating deals and they were walking away with these contracts that had, you know, an enormous downside. Downside meaning that you know. They, they, it's what they were getting flat without bonuses or anything else in between. So I'm kind of curious if there has been further restructuring to the contracts. I mean, if you're Vince right now, you've got to be looking at AEW and saying, all right, I mean, fuck, they've got how many? 120 people under contract right now for... Oh, they got way too many for their TV time. But yeah. again, it doesn't matter because the rich kid's never going to run out of money. <laughs> I would imagine at some point, dad's got to look at Tony and say, Tony, you got to recognize a bad investment and kind of cut I don't know. Losses. I don't know about that. You would hope. You would hope. Well, apparently, no, but apparently, from, me. I've heard I've heard Tony's got his own money from outside endeavors. You know, I, you, you, oh, good for him. If I he can't, does. I can't, can I can't speak on the balance sheet in the bank account. Yeah, exactly. Spend it how you want. So long as we're putting out a good product. And I think we're kind of we're in a great time for wrestling fans. And, you know, look, even even though the the ratings are in a massive low right now, I thought Eric Bischoff said something pretty poignant uh, in a recent podcast of his with uh, with our guy, Conrad Thompson. He'd mentioned that, you know, uh, a mentor of his who was an EP at the Tonight Show had said, when you lose an audience, they're gone. They're not coming back. So I think right now, AEW and WWE are in the unique position where you know, maybe not a lapsed fan, but what do you do to bring in new fans? What are you doing to attract new fans? And I think that was what what made the Attitude Era so great and those numbers so massive was that between both shows, they were hitting you with moments. And I've always been a big, it, it's always been big to me that, you know, people remember moments in wrestling. People don't remember specific matches. I'm not going to tell you about, you know, a sequence of moves. I can tell you about a high moment. What made Steve Austin so great was Austin driving the beer truck, Austin doing the shit with Booker T in the grocery store. Like these are 
fucking moments that people that'll be embedded in your head. That's what the Monday Night Wars created. It made oh, everything Mike, so much. Oh, Mike, you couldn't be more wrong. It's about the six-star match now. Don't no, you know no, no, please. Please. Look, eventually you and I are going to come up with our own rating system, and, and I have a well, feeling no, it's going to fall the paper. I, oh, no, I, I, I know. I hit the sarcasm font No, button. no. Hey, I'm from New York. I speak sarcasm fluently, Mark. I got, I'm right there with you, brother. I think, I think the whole star rating is bullshit. It only counts if you're working in the Tokyo Dome. We're here, and we're going to try to figure out something that works best for everybody and isn't so biased but i think you know in in that vein maybe we should take on the the aew pay-per-view because i you know aew has a lot of fans out there and i'm sure a lot of them are listening oh yeah and they think their promotion can do no wrong uh if you criticize aew in any venue social media twitter whatever they descend on you like you're a carcass and they're vultures in the Arizona desert. They just pick your bones clean because how dare you criticize. But after revolution, I think there's legitimate criticism to be levied because I think that's the first time since its inception that AEW really soiled the bed. I think there's so much to criticize about that show, legitimately so. And I'm curious to see uh, what the continued reaction is by AEW fans and what AEW does to address it because – it's the first time they've broken their own momentum and there's a bit of ground to make up. Yeah, you're 100% right, Mark. I thought I thought uh, AEW went into this past Sunday's Revolution show with a massive amount of momentum. That go-home show was probably one of the best go-home, you know, probably yes. one of the best shows that they've done since they launched Dynamite. And they went It was a Sunday. blueprint for a go-home show. 100%. Well, it had that it had that excitement of you didn't know it was going to happen next. Uh, every, you were kind of living minute to minute based on what they were doing. And they put together a hell of a show. Look, they went in Sunday and they laid a bit of an egg. There were some positives to take out of there, but the out, I think the negatives far outweigh. So what do you say? You want to dive right into it and get going? Yeah. Uh, and I guess the best place to start is with the first match. Absolutely. I mean, I mean, there were, there were bigger points of contention to me, like the way the exploding barbed wire <laughs> match was an utter and total disaster. Uh, no, no more so than at the very end when it should have been the climactic moment of the show. And then you got the introduction of a 47 year old, and a 49-year-old uh, over the last couple of weeks that are just there because WWE had no use for them. Double M, you're uh, such an ageist. I can't believe it. <laughs> I'm, I'm 60. Nobody wants me for anything. <laughs> like, but the first match was very odd because it, 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 I expected a lot, not better, but different because it's Jericho and MGF against the Young Bucks. And the issue is that Jericho and MGF beat up Papa Buck and left him laying and bloody. Yep. Okay. And I thought Jericho and MGF did a brilliant job getting old school heel heat in the match. So, uh, so good. I mean, Jer- Jericho should be teaching master classes on this shit. And MJF may be the last bastion of a true heel in the business today. Because he wants to be. He 100%. He doesn't want to be a cool hero, heel. Excuse me. He wants to be a heel. And the, no no greater success in that in that avenue when you're doing it that way. 100%. The guy is hated, but he's hated across every platform. It's, you know, MJF isn't somebody else when he's on Twitter than he is on TV. He's the same guy through and through, and you want to fucking choke him. It's funny you mention that because I have thought about having Max on my radio show because we met at uh, the StarCast and we we got along okay. Fellow Long Islander, man. Come on. He was there when I roasted Tony Khan to to, to some uh, 
uh, a detrimental effect. I don't know, depending on, on what people think I wanted out there. And I'm sure we'll talk about that. Safe to say your uh, AEW contract's not coming in the mail then, huh? Yeah, we'll talk about that on this show sometime. <laughs> that was part of the Tony Schiavone roast. Uh, the rich kid just didn't understand how a roast works. But at any rate, uh, Max was there for that. And I like the guy and I think he's a great character. I'm afraid to have him on my radio show because I know he wouldn't play along. It wouldn't be the two heels talking. He would rip me to shreds. Yeah. And I am extremely smart. Uh, My gimmick on radio is I'm a super genius with a tested IQ of 166. But, Mike, I really am. Oh, yeah. Which is no compliment. It means I'm wasting my life doing radio. (laughs) Uh, But but I'm scared of Max. Max is smart, and he may be more clever than me. But so I thought those two did a great job in that match. But then you got the Bucks, who I respect uh, a lot as, as workers and their stuff about the do-it-yourself ethic. That is how they made themselves. And honestly, not to bore anybody, that's how I made myself in radio after after middling career success into my mid-30s. But their dad got beat up, left-laying, and bloodied. And they went into the match and did all their usual high spots. Uh, Mark, yeah. Tried Mark. to get a five-star match. They acted like getting a pin or five stars would even the score for their dad. Nope. We talk- and they should have gone in there and out and out brawl. They should have been waiting for MGF and Jericho at the arena door. They just didn't get it was, the storyline or the emotion of that situation. There was no psychology to what they were doing. And as you follow along with us, guys, you're going to hear that term kind of be brought about when it comes to wrestling is psychology, which may sound like the dumbest thing in the world to you, but there really is so much behind it. And that helps you to suspend that disbelief, but also get lost in the belief of what you're seeing. And the psychology for the Bucks on that end was terrible. Like, look, I've never been the biggest fan of their work. I always thought it was too very, it's too spotty, too very, you know, PWG, internet, yeah, yeah. You know, just high yeah, spots for the sake of... That's a legit argument, but I, but I like them. I think they do pretty good. Spots for the sake of doing spots. But for me, I was like, look, these guys have an opportunity with a personally built storyline where your dad's getting his ass whipped, bloodied up by these two heels and destroyed... Where's that next gear? Show me that next gear. Come out and, you know, completely flip the script on who the people think the Young Bucks are and what you've shown them. And they just did the same old shit. They went out there and played a greatest hits album that really didn't resonate well. And I don't think it did their story any favors, which is a shame because it was built so well. Yeah, show me a, not not another gear, but a, well, actually, same thing, different gear. Yeah. Go, like they just went on, like you level. said, Mike, they did what they always do. And, you know, that just, that didn't serve the feud well. It didn't serve the heels well. It didn't serve anybody well. And it especially didn't serve the start of the show well. No, it, 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 it didn't. Compromise your storylines and logic right off the bat. That doesn't set a good stage. It, it doesn't set a good stage. And, you know, where, where do you go from here? You know, what's the, what's the next end of the story? It seems now the story has kind of shifted further away from the Bucks, and it's kind of what's going on with this inner squabble, excuse me, the inner squabble with the inner circle. Uh, it, that, came to, that came to me as the biggest takeaway that matches. I'm more interested in what's happening yes. with the heels as opposed to where the baby faces are going next. I could care less what's next in store for the Bucks. And that's vintage Jericho. Jericho always controls and organizes and does very well at it. Everything in his, no pun intended, inner circle. Yeah. Anything that involves him, he is right on top of. I had a veteran wrestler say to me after that match between the Bucks and Jericho and MJF that, that Chris should have done more to, you know, get that match the way he wanted, to get the Bucks to work the way we're talking about, Mike. And I said, listen, 
the Bucks just do what they do. I don't think there's any telling them to do something differently. No, you can't. And Everyone's it, an EVP in that company. Well, exactly. You, you can't tell a guy who is, however, technically your boss how to work a match. So, you know, I, I'm not going to read Chris's mind. I think he's there to get paid. I think he's there to control what he can control. And I don't think he's going to give himself headaches over anything he can't. No, and I think what, you know, look, Chris loves the business. The guy the guy through and through bleeds the wrestling business. I think what's invaluable uh, in his time there is the just what he's going to impart on these younger talents. I think Chris has done a phenomenal job on putting a lot of these young guys over, dating back to the launch of AEW and the program that Chris had with uh, Hangman Adam Page, who I have nothing but rave reviews over. I think, I think that kid is going to be a mega fucking star in the business one day, and I, it looks like they're on a slow burn for him, which is great. But Jericho and what he can do for younger talents that you're trying to establish in this new company. Look, I am a very, very firm believer that if there's no Chris Jericho, there's no AEW. Oh, or if there is, there's a very miniaturized and less successful you got, to this you, point. Right. You've got Jacksonville Impact without Chris Jericho. Right. It, it's a building company even now, you know, a year and how many months later, as opposed to the unqualified success it is albeit with you know some flaws that we're talking about right now but that kind of moves us on to our next point mike because when you say about the influence jericho can be in the locker room Uh-oh. he can be that and one of their top performers too easily okay but we keep hearing about christian now that he's arrived and to some extent paul white too that the value of christian is the influence he can be in the locker room well, they have a term for people like that in wrestling, Mike, that, that you know, can't really work at the top of the card anymore. Uh-oh. They're called producers. Oh, come on, Double M. Okay? Well, no, no, double no, don't, M. Don't give me wrong. I'm a big fan of Christian. I am. And his career is, is, uh, is one to be proud of. But he's 47 years old. WWE didn't want him or he'd still be there. He came to AEW as their big reveal. And he's just not a big reveal. If you had brought him in in a different context as opposed to being this Hall of Fame caliber guy, and he may yet be that in WWE, although by showing up on AEW, he he did himself no favors in that regard. He'll be in. He'll be in. Yeah, I think he will be too. I I think they all go back sooner or later anyway. I bet even Jericho shows up in WWE before his career is over. I feel very strongly about that. And I I hate to make it sound like I'm, you know – criticizing Christian too stridently, but the reveal just didn't live up. The Paul White reveal just didn't live up. Again, it comes off as recycling. Well, uh, what, w- you're, 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 recy- you're recycling Nitro. You're recycling what, you know, what WCW and WWE both in turn did in the 90s where, you know, hey, look, well, this guy's jumping over, this guy's that. jumping over. I, 100%. But I think... Oh, no, no, because WCW, they brought in Hall and Nash. They brought in big established stars. They brought in guys WB still would have liked to retain. I mean, more so in terms of the not not so much in the talent and where they currently stand. I mean, more so in the fact that we're going to bring you a WWE guy and put him on display. Not so much, you know, who's coming and what point in their career. Uh, I think it's more so of like, hey, look, we've got this treasure from WWE. We're going to put it right here on TV. Here's another one right on TV. Yeah, I don't know if it helps. I don't know if those two help. I don't see. I, I, think, I think they're taking TV time away from young guys who deserve it. Mike, they don't have enough TV time for the talent they have. Well, I mean, they're I want to see Jungle broadening. Boy work more. I want to see Darby Allen work more, although he was great in that cinematic Phenomenal. Match. We'll get to him on that one. That was phenomenal. I, I want to see the Varsity Blondes work more. That's what I want to see. I don't need to see Christian. I just don't. Well, you know, look, I, I will say this. I, I – 
I'm a big fan of Christian. I love I love Paul White, the big show as well. Uh, I don't think I think you're 100 percent right in terms of a big reveal. I think they both kind of AEW over promoted and without being disrespectful, they under delivered. Those guys would both be a phenomenal surprise. But to kind of build something up the way they built it leading into Sunday's revolution, in my eyes, the only guy that probably could have fulfilled on that would have been a CM Punk if you brought Punk yes. out. Yes, hand, and hand, we knew it wasn't going to be him. One hundred percent. That's the only guy that could have lived up to that over promotion, if we if we want to call it that. Christian is great. Christian's going to he's going to do phenomenal things for them behind the scenes and in front of the camera. Um, I think Paul White will as well. And I think to your point, like, look, I think what what's really cool that AEW is doing is that they're utilizing the power of the internet with a lot of what they're building. So there are some positives to the internet in the business. And I think by them oh, launching this absolutely. new this new YouTube show, that's going to showcase a lot of these young stars that may be fighting for that you know that 15 minute segment on a dynamite episode you're going to get a chance to kind of see these guys and with it being on youtube folks being able to kind of come and go at their own you know at their own leisure to check these guys out i think that's going to be a massive win and having a veteran voice like paul white on there with uh, old tony shivani i think is going to lend credence because paul knows how to put people over and that's what these young kids are going to need uh, I mean, uh, they already have too many on Mike. Three I on mean, Mike is a death sentence. Well, the best announced team in wrestling right now is Michael Cole and Corey Graves because amen. there's two guys. Amen. Because there's two guys. They're good announcers, but there's two guys. In AEW, they have some of the greatest announcers in wrestling history, and everyone gets lost in the shuffle because there's three, even four voices on Mike all the time. Well, here's the here's the and this is me. This is my this is me speaking from a producer's perspective, right? You have three starting quarterbacks playing quarterback at the announce position. You've got three lead guys and that just doesn't work because there's no, there's no, there's no sort of structure. Everyone is, look, you've got guys who are 30 plus year veterans in the game, like Jim Ross, who's arguably one of the all time greats, Tony Schiavone, who's great in his own right. And then Excalibur, who's really done, you know, a job building himself up to a, you know, a a global audience or a national audience on uh, dynamite. But these are guys that worked in the lead position and, you know, they don't have that person to play off of. They don't have that color commentator to lean off, you know, to play off of and to verbally spar with. You can tell a lot of times, and you saw it on Sunday, Mark, there's uncomfortability, especially when they get to their on cameras, because the lead guy's job is to play traffic cop. You're navigating the audience from element to element throughout the show. And there was just no, there was no, there was no synchronicity between the three guys, because I think they're all still even, you know, a year and a half, two years later, still trying to figure out their roles. And I think you're doing a disservice to, you know, two bona fide Hall of Famers, JR already in, and a guy like Excalibur who's got a, who's got the potential to, you know, make a name for himself in the business in the commentary booth. Well, right about now, everyone listening is saying, what do you know, fat ass? You were a terrible announcer, fat ass. You just want a job in AEW, fat ass. First off, I, I think you look great. You look as great. good as I wanted to be but I wasn't as bad as some of you think I was. You're just jealous because I got the chance and you never did. Uh, And I don't think AEW is going to call me anytime soon, but I don't want them to call me. Uh, I'm not desperate for, for work or for money. Thank God at this point in my life, but, but I still maintain that a three man booth is death. I think any announcer uh, off the record would confirm that when Scott Hudson, Tony and I did the three man booth, Scott, I used to talk, because before uh, Vince Russo and Eric came back, under Bill Bush and Kevin Sullivan, it was a two-man booth with me and Tony. 
you know, I replaced Bobby because I've told this story many times. Bobby couldn't be trusted at live TV at that point in his career in life. Unfortunate as it is, that's just how it was. From a health perspective or? Pardon me? From his health or just was Bobby no, a little from untru- drinking too much perspective. Ah. Since, since, since being blunt is apparently, learn to read the tea leaves, Mike. I was trying to be nice. <laughs> hey, I, it, I, 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 don't like, I don't like subtle. I like being direct. Well, okay. Uh, believe me, I got no problem. <laughs> but, but, but when uh, Bischoff and Russo came back, they put me, Hudson, and Shivani on Nitro. And Hudson and I used to say, boy, it, it, it's tougher with three guys. There's, you can't lay out. You can't leave silent. Use silence as a dramatic device. You can't, you just want to get your shit in, right? Yeah. You but, and, but then we also agreed, well, if we tell them that, one of us will be fired. So maybe let's not tell them that. Uh, but I, I think a two-man booth is so much better. Like I said before, and I know you agree, I think Colin Graves proved that uh, every, every time uh, they turned their microphones on. But uh, And to be clear, I love Ross, love Shivani. I think Ross and Shivani are two of the three best play-by-play guys of all time, along with Lance Russell. I think Excalibur has every potential to be in that category someday. But, but, but they not only have all three of them on mic, like you said, they're all lead guys. They always have somebody involved with the match, like like a, a future opponent, somebody that's involved in the feud. Yeah, you know, the manager, the sidekick, whoever on mic too, and it's just too much. It's just too much. It's sensory overload. Well, you're not doing anyone any favors, and the, the worst thing you can do is parade someone who can't talk and put them on commentary. It's just a recipe for a disaster. Well, and you know what? The, the sad part is, everyone involved knows that what I'm saying is correct, but they won't go to Tony about it because they don't want to be made to seem like they're trying to screw one of the two guys they're working with 100 percent, 100 percent. why rock the boat although the, the day will come when that won't be a problem to somebody because that's how it works in wrestling we both know that well i can eventually see jr taking a uh, a behind the scenes producer approach for the commentators jim did Maybe. that yeah, Jim did, Jim did that a lot uh, when uh, NXT initially launched way back in 2013. Uh, and, you know, he helped a lot of those guys come a long way. Uh, and Michael Cole eventually followed JR when JR uh, was taking time away from wrestling. But I eventually see Jim doing that. And I think, look, they're expanding AEW with their depth of a roster. They're expanding their programming. Like, you know, I think they're at some, you know, I think I've heard maybe four shows weekly. I could be making that up, but I'm pretty sure that was uh, what I read. That includes YouTube and such, right? Yeah, yeah. So you're going to, you can't have Shivani and Excalibur and, you know, JR do every show. You need to mix it up. And I think JR is is an invaluable asset for that company to have them behind the scenes producing announcers because, you know, look, just his aptitude for the business business, what he knows and everything else in between is, is just going to be a tremendous resource for those guys. And there's no denying that bell to bell. He's the best storyteller. No question. No question. He had a, he had a tough time with his voice seemed to be ailing a bit at uh, revolution, but he gutted it out. And uh, there's something inspiring about Jim gutting it out. Yeah. Uh, You know, when he tries that hard, I think it gives the notion that everybody involved, the wrestlers, his partners are or trying just as hard. I'm a, I've got a lot of time for Jim Ross. I went to high school with his wife, although none of us knew that. Uh, she was Jan, Jan, Jan was a later. great lady. Oh, Jan, she was I, a phenomenal, phenomenal lady. Yeah. Always, always treated everyone so great whenever she would she would come to the TV studio with Jim whenever he was doing a project. She was always just a pleasure to be around. Uh, you know, I, I'm going to be honest with you, going back to Sunday when they started the show, um, 
if you watch the end of the buy-in, which is their pre-show leading into the start right. of the pay-per-view, and Jim came out and started speaking, I, I kind of had like a, oh shit, is this going to hurt the show moment? You know, is is his lack of a voice, you know, if he's got a cold or something else in between, is it going to hurt the performance? Because again, going into the start of that eight o'clock pay-per-view, I, along with, I think everyone else that tuned in thought we were going to see some pretty cool shit. And I thought yeah, that that oh, performance for, may have, may have kind of brought it down, but Jim did fucking power through and he got himself through that show. Jim was not a problem. Oh, you know, and, and there were some good things on the show. Like I, I like, I'm not a big fan, Mike of cinematic matches in general, but, but I did like the sting match. It protected sting. I thought it made Darby Allen into an even bigger star. And, and that's what I'm talking about when, you know, we, 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 we consider Christian and, 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 and uh, Paul White and all the, you know, like all the guys getting TV time that deprive TV time to the young guys. AEW was supposed to be, the mission statement was, it's going to be the promotion that mimics real sport more than WWE. And it has not come close to doing that. No, no, no. And, and, and I want to see the young guys who aren't overexposed. I want to see Sammy Guevara more. I want to see uh, Darby Allen even more. I want to see, Jungle Boy. I want to see the Varsity Blondes, but uh, even Santana and Ortiz. That that's my biggest bitch about how the talent used in a microcosm. I think Santana and Ortiz are one of the best tag teams in recent memory. I think they're brilliant. I think their packaging, their work, everything about them is just excellent. Mike, I don't have a figure. I'd love to know how many times they've actually wrestled on dynamite since the promotion's inception, because I would bet you it's not nearly enough. No, it probably isn't. But I, I kind of uh, have, um, excuse me, I'm kind of of the thought of the quality of when you're on as opposed to the quantity will kind of stand out a lot more. You know, is, is there a way that folks can be represented week from week to week without having to work? Sure. But I think if you continually to go on to kind of parade these guys around and put them in there on a weekly basis, you're almost kind of force feeding, right? You're kind of force feeding this talent down the audience and wrestling fans are sophisticated enough to know when a promotion is kind of shoving someone down your throat. It may not be an overt attempt to get them over, but if you're getting that weekly exposure by, you know, doing a five minute squash match or whatever the case may be, we know that you're the next guy on the rise. Everyone knows that. I think it's what do they do creatively and what is the talent do to maximize the the real estate, if you will, on an episode of Dynamite or NXT, whatever whatever show it may be, when you're given that opportunity as opposed to the frequency in which you're on. I mean, no, I, can't, I, I totally agree. And every name I mentioned has done exactly that. Yeah. I, I, think, I, yeah. I think Jungle Boy is the best example. I think he is a star. And I think given his limited exposure, he's done, you know, 100% all you could do with it. I thought his stuff with FTR, you know, that little mini feud they oh, had. So good. So good. Was, no, I mean, it was so good, but uh, great dancing but like partners though. And, great and, dancing and again, partners. I'm old, Mike. I'm used to TBS Saturday night. <laughs> where I saw Arn and Tully every other week. You're a 605 PM Eastern guy. Express every other week. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. Maybe it'll work out. Maybe everybody will get the right exposure. Maybe they'll add another hour or two of time on TNT at some point, uh, I don't know. I, I, I hope for the sake of the talent, I think deserves better. I would have liked to have seen, I, I like the fact that they added Ethan page to me. I'm more excited about that than Christian. I think Ethan page has more potential to grow as a performer than some 47 year old guy. I wish they would have added ACE Austin. I think ACE Austin is the best guy right now 
who's not in WWE or AEW. And he's a young guy. I think he has so much potential. I'd have rather seen him show up at Revolution than Christian. Hey, but you, you look, let those young pups get in the ring with a guy like Christian and the stuff that the what they can walk away from those experiences with will only help for them to kind of continue kind of growing and going in the right direction. You need you need that veteran presence in the locker room. You know, you've talked about it, Mark, on Pat's show uh, when we were talking about Juju and the the wide receivers room at uh, for the Steelers without veteran leadership everyone's just doing what they think is right. So I think you do need to bring these guys in because you do need that voice. You do need that experience. And if you can get somebody, you know, look, we saw Christian at the Royal Rumble. The guy hadn't stepped in a ring in years because of his health issues. And, and he was great. I, he, Mark, he didn't miss a beat. His timing was impeccable. You know, he was great. I think you need that. I don't think you're going to get that from Paul White. And I don't think Paul's advertised it that he's going to be a week-to-week performer. He's realistic enough to know that, hey, I am way past the twilight of my career. But, man, do I still have some good shit to offer. And he will offer that up. I think with a Christian, you've got a couple years, maybe two solid years, where this guy can get in there and he can really help to mold and shape that roster and give them the push that, they're, that, they, that they need. I mean, you saw it on Sunday. The stuff, Matt Hardy and Adam Page, if, if, if we want, let's, let's go there. That Matt that Hardy, brilliant. Adam Page match was, was incredible. Story. Incredible. Story. Great story. Great story. And that's what was needed. Such, a, such an old school gimmick, but with that new school twist to add, you know, it's like the Andre the Giant, Big John Stud, $10,000 body slam challenge. These guys are wrestling for their quarter one earnings. That's fi- fucking awesome. What, what a cool little nuance to add to the match. Yeah, now Rebby Hardy's going to have to get a job for three months, and uh, that will not go over well in the Hardy household. <laughs> oh, in fact, I, I would hope we see an appearance from Rebby at some point in the aftermath of, of what happened between Hangman and Big Money Matt. But, yeah. uh, you know, it's funny. A moment ago, I mentioned all the young guys in AEW I want to see more of, and I did not mention Hangman Page. Yeah. And the reason is, he's so good, I don't consider him a young guy. No, he's uh, Of all he's the seasoned. young talent AEW, the way he works is so measured and patient, but then accelerates exactly when it needs to. He has such a great mind for not only what to do, but when to do it in there. We talked earlier about the guys who just do high spots all the time and have a you know, repertoire they go back to, the greatest hits format. Hangman Page doesn't have that. I mean, certainly there's stuff he repeats. But I am just so impressed with the way he takes his time and hurries up he's, at the same time. He's un- he says he's- that, that, that unbelievable method, that uh, that deli- that deliberation in there that, that guys his age very rarely have. And, Zero. And get him in there with Matt Hardy, my God. Zero wasted movement. Uh, Hangman Page reminds me a lot, Mark, and you said it so perfectly, the way he works. I mean, this guy is on his way to, you know, working like who someone who I consider to be one of the greatest workers in the history of the business, Randy Orton. Randy Orton, there is no wasted movement in anything Randy does, and everything Randy does means something. From the tiniest nuance to the biggest, you know, biggest move that he's going to throw out at you Randy is unbelievable and there's nothing wasted about his work hangman Adam Page I think is well on his way to being there and what I mean I I can't have enough good things to say about that kid yeah I'm not sure where the dark order figures into all this I know they want (laughs) to find things for those guys to do Uh, one thing about Page though Page can act silly but he totally controls his own silliness yeah, which is why the Dark Order's involvement. It's a bit silly, but it it doesn't bug me like it might if Page 
didn't know how to handle all. You need that entertainment aspect, Mark, if you're going to make it on that level. And he's got the right amount of it. I, you know, look, uh, there's there's an adage that great entertainers make money, great wrestlers don't. Uh, and I think Adam is he's figured out that balance for himself. I, I, you, you need that flash of character, and you need that flash of what can bring people in besides just cool moves. Because look, that roster is packed with people who can do cool shit. What do you what 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 does your character have that'll set you apart that'll bring people in? And Adam Page has done that. Uh, the Dark Order was obviously at a tough spot after the the all too untimely and tragic death of Brody Lee. Because what do you do with them? Right. I mean, you can't really have them be an evil faction anymore after uh, after they lost Brody. So they turn him into comedy. I'm not sure that serves them well either. Although they can be pretty funny. They're funnier on being the elite than they are uh, on, on the Wednesday night yeah. show. Um, being the elite's a, a weird phenomenon. It totally exposes the business. Like we talked about earlier, totally splattering kayfabe against the wall in a bloody heap. Sure. People like it. Yeah. It's not my cup of tea, but I also watch it all the time because it entertains me. Well, it's interesting. I always feel like I shouldn't like it, but I do. It's because it's character development. But it's exposing the business at the same time, but in an entertaining fashion. So you're you're kind of revealing the tricks, but you're still getting yourselves over as personalities. It's definitely an interesting uh, an interesting dichotomy there with you know a product that's presented as a representation of the business. But I, I enjoy it. Same thing with Sammy Guevara's uh, they, what's he call it a blog? Yeah. It is so well done and so well produced. I like it. Look, you're Mark, you're 21st century. You just blog. Well done. It, I only know that because it says that right on Sammy's <laughs> thing there on YouTube. Sammy Guevara vlog, uh, volume, whatever. But uh, we, we got to talk about um, the exploding barbed wire death match because they just should have called it a barbed wire match because it didn't explode. Nobody died. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so I, I thought that was an absolute embarrassment. Let me ask you this, Mike. Sure. Would that have ever happened in WWE? Um, Is there any chance they have an epic fail like that with an exploding barbed wire death match in WWE? Because I don't think so. With certainty, Mark, I can tell you 100% zero chance that would have happened uh, on a WWE show. And this is, you know, and look, this isn't meant to be a knock on AEW. They're still a young company and they're probably learning and they don't have, maybe, you know. Mike, let me interrupt you. I am knocking them for this. (laughs) Because they effed it up badly. They, it was embarrassing to everybody involved. And for the first time ever, the company's just a little bit on the back foot because of it. Sure. Well, like like we said, right, we we talked about it right from the start. And the theme of this whole show for AEW was going into it with monster momentum and then stalling it. You you cannot, you know, not to call that this, this pay-per-view wasn't a one-match pay-per-view. But this was obviously the featured match on the card. This was the main event, the headliner. And you're Oh Mike, it was pretty close to a one match pay-per-view. Uh, hurt near but not plumb, but but pretty close. <laughs> the the ladder match delivered. I love that ladder match. Oh, it was great. And it's great to see again a guy Young like talent. Scorpio Sky, who we don't see enough on TV, who I think has been underutilized. It's good to see him uh get a push coming out of that. Big fan of Max Caster, by the way, by the way. Play pay attention to Platinum Max Caster. That kid is entertaining, he can work, and he's gonna have a pretty bright future. But back to the match. In the buildup to the match, they're using all this classic FMW footage and Onida and these exploding matches. For those of you who are not familiar with uh, FMW Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling and the their death matches, do yourselves a favor, hop on YouTube, look them up. Uh, this is the shit that you know Mick Foley as Cactus Jack, you know, kind of added to his legend. Terry Funk. Uh, 
Onita himself, you know, who's a, a, a student of a giant Baba, uh, all Japan wrestling legend. But the, the, the Sheik, Mike, the, the Sheik, original yeah, Sheik, yeah, Eddie Farhat, 70 something, got lit on fire. These matches were so well done, but so like y- 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 suspending disbelief. You really thought everyone in the ring was blown to fucking smithereens like a Daffy Duck cartoon with the bill turned around. Y- you're using all this footage in your build and you could tell from Jump Street, like, look, in terms of the match, I'm, the work, I thought the work was great. John Mox and Omega told a great story right at the yep, top yep, with, yep. with the falses going into all of the gimmicks around at ringside, but you can tell from the first explosion when Mox hit the, fir- the, the ropes for the first time and that first charge went off, that these explosions were going to be less than. And they started the sh- the match off by putting over this 30-minute countdown that was going to lead to this final explosion, whether the match was over or still in progress. Me as a producer, I would have loved to have had a reminder every once in a while of that 30-minute countdown just to kind of keep you honest and you keep... You're, it's it's an added layer to that story that as an audience member, the anticipation kind of gets you a little bit. That shit charges you up because you know you're going to see something cool. You see that yeah. first explosion mark, and it was a dud. And I, I knew from that first dud that we were going to be in for a bit of a letdown, not from the work, but more so from the the special effects. If this was a WWE show, those explosions would have been rehearsed the night before. We would have seen that we would have rehearsed them again in the afternoon to make sure that we were going to deliver by we, but that WWE was going to deliver on what they had promised. You can't, Here's you can't, my, you, you can't overpromise and underdeliver, and that was that was a, a pretty big theme on Sunday night. Well, and especially with Onita's involvement, Mike, all the video they showed. Mox, Mox show wore, it. yeah, Mox wore a leather jacket in tribute to Onita. Yeah, you can't show it being done right and then do it wrong. Right. You can't show this 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 cacophony of noise and fire and barbed wire and blood, and then do a a light version of it. And that's exactly what they did. And that, that added to the disappointment. If they were going to do the match the way they did, that have been better off not involving Onita at all and not showing anything that had happened. Treated as standalone, 100%. Exactly. But uh, I have a theory as to why it flopped. Right. And uh, the last explosion just, just didn't come off like it was supposed to. That was uh, a technical failure. Uh, and uh, it ruined the show, quite honestly. It did, for me. Uh, it was that disappointing. And... Uh, it embarrassed the announcers because they had to oversell it. It embarrassed Kingston and Moxley. You killed, you killed Mark. Mark they, you yeah, killed, I like he was dead. You killed your top baby face and you killed him in a moment where you had this awesome turn. Like they, they, they AEW did such a great job with that, uh, with that Moxley, Eddie Kingston story. You have this phenomenal fucking moment where Eddie comes down and the drama as the countdown's going, you know, to zero of Eddie not knowing what to fucking do. And he finally dives on Mox and then zero hits and you get, you know, Gilberg's pyro in the fucking ring. You, you buried your baby faces. And what, what bothers me, and it actually, like hearing this, it actually pissed me off. And it kind of goes to the, it goes to the inexperience. And it also goes into the working of the internet that right now exists at the top tier of AEW. Tony Khan in his post-match scrum said, that was done by design. So, because you know, the whole story was that Kenny built the contraption going into the match. Liar, if, liar, if, ex- well, well, liar. Yeah, but no, no had, shit. Had the but, been in the wing, they would not have caught on fire. But here's the thing, Mark. If that was really the fucking case, when you see that's a fucking dud, that explosion, someone has to have the wherewithal and the balls to call an audible. Uh, the first thing I thought of when I saw that, because as you said, the announcers were fucking embarrassed. They didn't know what to do. Send the heels back out there to fucking laugh at the baby faces. Those yep, guys yep. don't know what they 
they missed because they were both covered from what they thought was going to be a big explosion. The referee wears a fucking IFB. Tell the referee to tell the baby faces to stop selling. You left your two big baby faces out there to fucking die and went off the air embarrassing them. Well, that's nothing new to AEW. In fact, that was nothing new to that show. Uh, the, the Taz gang are heels, but look what happened to them. Beat, beat, beat. Got beat three times in a row. And I know it's by Sting and Darby Allen, but you made your heels look totally impotent. You looked like they, you know, they got beat by a skateboard kid and a 60-year-old guy three times in a row. Yeah. Okay, without getting any heat back uh, since before those three losses. But, but I have a theory about the exploding match. I don't think, and boy, I'll get I'll get some stick for this if I'm wrong, and I'll be told I'm wrong even if I'm not, which makes me think <laughs> I'm right. I don't think Mox and Kenny were willing to take the risk involved to have the explosions live up to what they were in FMW. I don't think they wanted to take a chance on getting singed or even worse for the sake of having that match the way it was supposed to be. I can't speak. I, I can't speak for Kenny because I don't know Kenny. I know Moxley. Uh, if you told John that fire was going to be involved or if they were going to have a fucking dragon come and bite them while they were working, if they touched the ropes, John would have done it. The Mox that okay. I know, he's all okay. in. I can't speak for Omega, but I know Moxley would have been up for They could have fucking set the ring up with real C4 and he still would have been in there. <laughs> Well, maybe maybe Tony wasn't willing to to have them take that. Why not? They've all yeah. they've all they've all got fucking health insurance. That was their uh, big thing, right? I hate I hate to say it, but I totally agree. It, it's not you know you're not playing patty cake out there. So yeah, uh, maybe that wasn't the case. But uh, that's what struck me initially, Mike. That maybe nobody wanted to take that risk. I mean, look look at what happened at FMW. Those guys literally got the hair burned off their bodies. Yeah. Sheik caught on fire, and he was in his 70s, for God's sake. If I'm not mistaken, that that scar that Foley has that runs up and down his uh, the outside of his right bicep, I think that came from a from an FMW match. I think that came from – I, I think yeah, that's I think, true. So, I think it was the, so, the King of the Death match tournament. It just came off as Bud Light. <laughs> you know, it just – it, it, and, and I drink Bud Light and Coors Light, so no offense to those companies. But um, it to me, it was just – it ruined the show. I, and I think if you're an average fan, that's what you remember is how that last explosion didn't go off and the announcers and the baby faces looked like idiots. That's the biggest memory that people walk away from, Mark, and that's, yep. that's yep. what I learned in WWE. What did you leave them with last? How, so how do you how, think they make up for it, Mike? Uh, what do you think they do Wednesday? I think the upside is that you're moving forward. Yeah, well, yeah, th- th- look, there's going to be a scramble, but I think the positive and the silver lining in all this is that you probably had the best talents in the world for this to happen to. So I think you've got two strong talents in Moxley and Eddie Kingston. Yes. Who could go out there? I mean, it, 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 you know, they released it on social media not long after uh, Moxley grabbed a mic and cut a promo to the crowd. You know, basically, i paraphrasing, but, you know, Kenny Omega can't, you know, construct a death match for shit, something to that effect. So I think those guys will be able to dig AEW out of the hole. But I do think that they're going to have to kind of make up some ground because, look, you're living in the digital world. And that disappointment is pro- was probably one of the biggest one of the biggest gifts, memes, everything else in between that was running Twitter that night. AEW was trending on Sunday, but for the wrong reasons. Well, where AEW is lucky is, is that their fan base treats the promotion as something that can never be criticized. And in fact, like a social club, right. And they will be more forgiving than they probably should be, or maybe they should be forgiving. Mike, I don't know. I stopped being a fan and started being a critic a long time ago. And maybe that's to, to my detriment and to legit criticism of me. Uh, 
I don't think Tony did himself any favors by lying about the explosion afterwards. No. I think when you have a promotion based on communication with your fans via social media, that communication should be as honest as possible. You need to be transparent. Unless, of course, it's for storyline purposes, which you could say this is, but everybody knows you're full of shit, too. Yeah, you, you, you got to be transparent, especially when you're, you know, look, you're for, you're for the people, by the people, right, as AEW claimed to be from, right. from Jump Street. Uh, I, I hope they take it as a learning experience. I hope you, you take away everything that went into this. What do you do to learn from those mistakes that you never repeat them again? If you didn't learn anything, then you're bound to repeat this shit. It doesn't matter what gimmick match you use going forward. It's you're going to find some sort of failure. You got to you got to learn from these shortcomings and it'll be interesting to see how they rebound. And, you know, are they going to put processes in place to learn from this and to make sure it never happens going forward? I think behind the scenes, they will learn from it. I think uh, to the camera and on Twitter, they will say, you know, screw everybody who thinks we screwed up. Uh, We're right all the time. (laughs) But I I think, no, well, that is their attitude that they're right all the time. Sure. I mean, there is, I'll tell you what. Uh, if you believe in a single superior entity in your personal life, religion, whatever, AEW is not for you because there's more than one God complex in that company. Hey, we're in living. Fact, there, there are half a dozen at least. We're living on wrestling's Mount Olympus on on Wednesday nights. Yeah, no question. And again, you see what what's great about this podcast, Mike, is everything we say is going to be oh fuck them, they're full of shit. You know what I mean? Because people think. That's my first F-bomb in the podcast, by the way. People think People think that, you know, AEW is always right, but they're just not beyond criticism. No. And I think everything we've talked about here, both good and bad, has been very legitimate. Yeah. And but look- I, think it's, I think it's important. I don't know about important. I mean, we're not talking about, you know, uh, uh, about the Constitution of the United States or anything significant like that. But I think it's important. There's reason criticism about stuff like this. And again, like I said at the top of the show, I don't believe there's enough of that out there with wrestling in general and with AEW in particular. No. Well, look, everyone's looking to play favorites and curry favor, especially, you know, they want that you want to be inside. Like you said, it's a social club, right? So what better way to get into the social club? And, and than Tony's that? very content with that, Mike. Yeah, and, Tony, and, believe me, the social aspect of running this wrestling company and the friends he's made at great expense is the most pleasurable thing about this to Tony Khan. I, I really believe that he's living out his childhood fantasy not only of booking wrestling but of having the wrestlers as his friends so you're saying there's no there's no distinguishing the the owner and the fan you're they're one they're one and the same and there's you're saying they're working same brain there let me know when tony fires somebody he hasn't yet that's fair that is very very fair and look at some point, Mike, he will have to, correct? You're going to have to. It's a business. Everybody who runs a business has to, but I I don't know that he can bring himself to do it. He's a really nice guy. He well, really is. Maybe maybe too nice given his situation. Well, luckily, you've got 27 S- or EVPs that can handle the dirty work uh, on that end. And look, today's show may have been a little AEW-centric for all the uh, AEW lovers out oh, there. Oh, no, we'll get and to WWE. Exactly. Look, we're, we're no going we're gonna, to we're gonna distribute the... The, the breakdown's pretty evenly. It's not going to be skewed. It's going to be... No question. We're, we're, we're going to represent the business. If Mark and I find ourselves up at odd hours, we'll watch a New Japan here and there. You know, we want to take an honest look at the business because like Mark said, that's something that's missing right now is that honest criticism and uh, and or and look, and praise. There, there, there's, there's going to be room here for praise too, right, Mark? It's not going to be all negative, right? Oh, I think we had a lot of praise today. Yeah. I really do. We talked about, you know, in my case, I talked about the young guys I want to see. 
I, I talked about uh, how the I like the cinematic match, which I don't normally don't. I, so, uh, you know, if you, if you can, let's let's stop there for a second, because we didn't really get to talk about it that much. That was great. From a production standpoint, I thought they yeah. kicked ass. What bothered me to no end. Uh, on oh, the I know. Show, I know what you're going to say. They Go should ahead. not have let the commentators work that match. Yep, and it's not exactly because right. it's not because that's what I've seen at WWE and that's what I did at WWE. It shouldn't have happened. You had an awesome story that was told there and the way it was mixed, the way the audio ran on TV, the announcers were so on top and everything from, you know, on tape for that cinematic match was buried. I mean, the one spot where they swung where uh Brian Cage and Will Hobbs they swung uh Darby Allen through that plate glass window, you didn't hear it. All the sound effects were buried because every, you know, you had four folks on commentary that were just trying right. to get their shit in. I will put Taz over. Taz had a very, uh, Taz remind, Taz's performance on Sunday was kind of like Bobby Heenan calling the 92 Royal Rumble where he, yes, you know, exactly. Bobby, Bobby right. just won, you know, everything was, you know, fucked for flair and everything else in between. And I thought, Taz, to flair. I thought Taz did do a great job at that, but my druthers, if I were producing that show, I would not have had the commentators call that. I would have had him set it up, lay out, let JR rest his throat for 20 minutes, and let people get lost in this match because it was so well executed, well shot, well edited. It was great. I but love the spot the when Brian Cage walked up the steps with Darby Allen. That's unfucking believable. I thought he should have suplexed him back down the steps, although that would have been. Oh, that would have been a stiff bump. What a what what just it it was just so well done. They 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 told a great story. The announcers just told a little too much of a story on top of it. And I think it kind of took away from what we were watching. But but referring to what we were mentioning before, Mike, we'll talk about WWE a ton. I mean, oh, on yeah. this podcast, I talk about WrestleMania now. Except amazingly, it's a month away, and they only have what two matches set? Is maybe, that it? Maybe three. Maybe three. I I think maybe three. How can that be? How, is is the setup for WrestleMania? Has it been reduced to just you point at the sign and that's your match? I I, I, <laughs> I remember when WrestleMania used to be used to resolve so much, like every match was the end of the road of the storyline, and well, you started everything fresh on the next TV show. And now it's just you point at the sign and there's your match. That's it. It's, it's interesting. And it's interesting too, right? We're we're what? Let's say just over a month away from WrestleMania. Right. Two nights happening. I was at the 10th and 11th, I believe, of April. Uh, and you've you really only do have like two or three matches booked. But the problem, not the problem, Mark, it, you know, I was always a proponent of getting rid of the pay-per-view before WrestleMania. Because yeah, me too. you were still promote, you, you still had to promote to another pay-per-view. And look, WrestleMania, the brand is what's over now. I'm a firm believer that you can put WrestleMania anywhere and the spectacle of WrestleMania is going to sell out without having any match advertised. I think that's, WWE has done a phenomenal job through the years building up the WrestleMania brand. But in terms of anticipation towards the show, there is none right now because you still have to get the fast lane. And then after fast lane is where you'll probably have this three to four week scramble we'll call it to kind of get a card together that you can have over two nights so i would be personally in favor of saying sayonara to the march pay-per-view and have all your tvs focus on leading you to what your stories are for wrestlemania because that's what i loved as a kid you know you go back to wwe having only four pay-per-views you were building and you knew where those you knew where the stories were going to take you. Same with the NWA. Same yeah. with Jim Crockett. Exactly. Exactly. You knew your story was going to culminate at WrestleMania or Starcade, and you enjoyed the ride to get there. And you, you had a you had a chance to get lost in these stories. Whereas now you're just kind of like, all right, well, shit. Here's two weeks. Uh, you and you, let's go. Well, and the fact that WrestleMania is such a strong brand has. Um, 
has made the creative process not nearly as urgent because you know it's going to sell no matter what. It's going to be a big deal no matter what. And that goes back to what we opened up with on the podcast. The amount of money available to both these wrestling companies means it doesn't have to be good, and it often isn't. Hunger breeds creativity. In the case of like WWE, if there hadn't been a WCW in the mid to late 90s pushing WWE, the wrestling business would not be nearly where it went and where it is today even. No, 100%. It's the, it's it's Rocky 3 all over again. And it, Mark, you know, yep. like Mickey yep. says to Rocky, the worst thing that happened to you is the worst thing that could happen to any fighter. You got civilized. Both WWE got civilized. No built, question. But you, now, uh, this competition is good. I don't think it's an extreme as it was back in the mid-90s and never will be again. But I think it's uh, I think it's really good for everybody. And I also, before we wrap up, Mike, I want to uh, praise the genius that is Pat McAfee. 100%. Putting this podcast together, he is a media monster. He has far surpassed everything I've done in radio and in wrestling inside <laughs> of a few short years, which which uh, doesn't anger me as much as it might if I were a younger man. But I'm old and a lot closer to the end than the middle. So all hail Pat McAfee, and I think we all agree that the only media personality who pushes Pat McAfee is Ariel Helwani. Oh, geez, the, the man is absolute magic. Uh, <laughs> when, when he is on the Pat McAfee show. I don't even like MMA, Mike, and I watch it over and over and over again just for the sheer fountain of electricity that I witness. You know, it's funny, Mark. I got to know Pat somewhat when he started coming in to do pre-shows for NXT, and we'd always kind of talked about doing business together in some way, shape, form, or fashion down the line. And, you know, when I left WWE, the opportunity presented itself. Never did I think I would wind up on this side getting a chance to do this, and I'm so grateful for the opportunity. But what I've noticed about Pat, and it doesn't matter who he's interviewing, from Ariel to you know, just the biggest stars in the NFL, what we did last season with Aaron Rodgers, Pat has this innate ability to disarm his guests and anyone that he's interviewing or anyone that he's talking to, to be honest with you, and to really bring out their best qualities and to get just the honesty to the core of who these people are. And for a guy like Ariel Hawani, who you see is so straight laced whenever he does any sort of media appearance, when he's on the show, Pat brings out the best version of Ariel Hawani. If I, as a producer, Pat makes Helwani a guy that, fuck, get me, get that guy on my show. That guy's got personality. Yeah, I'm going to disagree slightly. I think Helwani is a standalone. I think his magnificence is just so evident in any avenue. And I can we have him on this podcast at some point? 100%. If he'll, I'm if, not even sure what we'd talk about. I just want to bask in his glow. I would love to see the two of you kind of get a, you know, get a little spar going on. Because I feel I'd be like nervous. Every, I'd be nervous. Hey, every good heel needs a good baby face. It's just a matter of which one of you is going to play. Oh, which I role. could never <laughs> heal with Ariel Helwani. There's, there's no question about that. But uh, yeah, well, don't forget, I've known Pat dating back to when he helped cover up a murder in his hometown of Plum, PA. Oh, wait, we oh, probably man. can we edit that out later? Uh, no. I, I mean, it's it's okay, it's, well, it's, it's, it's an it's an honest happened take. And, uh, he wasn't directly involved. <laughs> I only learned Pat, about Pat that. Pat knows he was directly involved. We've talked about it on his show, and <laughs> so far, no charges have been pressed. So it was a homeless guy anyway. Oh, like, I mean, you know, it, it, you know, I. I don't advocate that, but, you know, you can get away with it. Well, and with that being said, and the statute of limitations hopefully running up pretty soon on that, that's where we leave you with episode two of Wrestling with Sports Entertainment. Uh, We hope you guys continue to rock with us because there's going to be some good shit, great stories, great guests. Absolutely. Great Uh, job, Mike. It was terrific. Hey, Mark, thank you. It was an honor uh, to be able to share some time with a legend like yourself. And I'm looking forward to growing this and building this with you because, uh, again, the passion that we have for the business, I think is going to speak to our listeners and viewers on YouTube and we want you to feel as good about the business as we do the good and the bad and you're going to do it here rocking with us you can 
love it without being a shill. Yeah. People who are shills because they love it. And like I said, wrestling, I always say wrestling, quote unquote, journalism, because it's not nearly what it used to be. And in fact, some of the founding fathers have let it down badly in recent times. And perhaps we're there to to pick up that torch. Uh, well, not that torch. Well, you know, figurative torch, not pro wrestling. Torch. <laughs> oh, man, you're going to get us into so much trouble. I'm pumped. Uh, what, for, what What? can he do? Come on. <laughs> He's going to rate you one star. Wrestling with Sports Entertainment. <laughs> right. I'm Mike Mansuri. He's Mark Madden. We'll see you guys next week. <laughs>